Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like a running back Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me once again And thank you so much, Tim I gave you a good two hours of notice that I needed somebody to jump on the show with me Mr. Tim Haraney, of course, of the TSN Racing Pod Does fantastic Formula One and IndyCar analysis for TSN up here in Canada and across North America Tim, how the heck are you, my friend? I'm good, buddy. How are you? How was uh, your summer holidays? It's It's been good. I was hoping that we could jump on and talk about a Kevin Durant trade But I guess that's not going to happen No I guess we've not, got some not good Formula now. One news, man what did you get up to? Anything exciting? Yeah, and like I had mentioned to you, you know, just dealing with uh, some uh, plumbing leaks in my ceiling, and um, that's been an absolute disaster and a mess. I chipped my front tooth, which is also fun, so I had to get that fixed. It's been uh, oh, uh, it's been all right, man. I, I got to see some uh, friends, got to see some family, so that's always nice. And uh, yeah, now back at it. Hopefully things will turn, and of course we have the Formula One season resuming today. We're back to free practice one at Spa. Some good news from Spa, which we'll talk about a little bit later. A uh, couple of laundry items right off the top. Big shout out to JT the Human. Here's your royalty money. Thank you so much, as always, for helping to bless our show with some intro and outro music. Uh, a great reminder for everybody that's listening at home, if you haven't yet subscribed to the Race Weekend magazine, if you do so and you use promo code Pod, you can get 10% savings. And also, big shout out to friend of the show and also a friend of Tim, Megan Gilks, the Canadian racer that's been going to school in England for aeronautical engineering, has started her internship at Aston Martin Formula One as a trackside engineer. Tim, I know you've had the opportunity to talk to her in the past. Of course, she is the youngest race winner in the history of the W Series. Any thoughts on, on Megan's big opportunity? Yeah, I've known Megan for quite a few years. Um, and this is great. I mean, big congrats to her for sure. Uh, it's a great opportunity um, that she's getting here. You know, she's been working really, really hard over in Europe. And a lot of people may not know, but when she's not uh, on a racetrack, you know, kicking butt, she's uh, she's in school, also kicking some ass. And it's uh, for her, it's just been work, work, work. Like uh, she was at one point flying back between Canada and the UK doing her schooling um, and wasn't sure when a break was going to come. And, you know, here here we are, finally got one. And uh, yeah, big congrats to her. Uh, she is going to learn uh, so much with that team and. I wouldn't be surprised if if we don't see her working on the F1 grid full time 
uh, at one of these teams in the not too distant future. I think so too. And if you don't know, we did an interviewer with her back in May. I highly encourage everybody to check that out. And talking to her a couple of days ago, just wishing her good luck with her new venture. Uh, she talked about the fact that it seems like a perfect match for her. The team has a Canadian driver. It has a Canadian owner. It just seems like a match made in heaven. And I've always said that if I'm going to get involved with a business, I don't necessarily want to go to a business that's already performing at a high level. I want to be part of the story that helps make something special and she definitely has that opportunity with Aston Martin. Uh, on that note, a couple of other recommendations. During the summer break, we did drop some really cool interviews. We interviewed Hamda Alcabesi last week. She's a fantastic young Formula 4 European regional driver out of the United Arab Emirates. Highly recommend you check that one out. We had Trey Kirby on from the No Dunks Athletic Podcast a couple of weeks ago. That was a ton of fun. And of course, Lily Herman, of course, famous for the new Sports Illustrated podcast. And of course, for the Engine Failure newsletter. So make sure to check those out. And these have been long teased, but we finally have dates. Kevin Clark of The Ringer and Megan Schuster separately are going to be joining us in September. We're going to do some really cool interview series specials there. Now, Tim, all of that said, I was given some feedback recently that I preamble too much on these podcasts and we should just get right into it. Yeah. Where do you want to start today? Do you want to start with the power unit news or do you want to start with Daniel Ricardo? Uh, let's go power unit because it's fresh. Happened today. We knew it was coming. Um, had uh you know had a heads up at around uh 1 a.m eastern time as this was coming down the uh the pipeline so stayed up till 3 a.m uh to cover some of it uh got about four hours sleep got up and <laughs> started tackling free practice one so <laughs> running on running on fumes here uh but at the end of the day this is it's great for formula one obviously to get another oem um involved in in the sport and you know it's it's a long time coming for sure i think obviously like everyone knows the new for you know 2026 engine regulations played a huge role in whether or not audi uh, was going to get involved porsche is uh not too far behind and making an announcement on their end either um but for for audi to uh to get this thing going it only makes you know a ton of sense doing a lot of this work they're going to be doing it from their home base in germany uh at the audi sport uh, factory that they've got there uh which i've seen it's incredible um they've already got some uh, d- uh test benches set up for the engines already so they're they're already uh s- starting to work on this thing so it's that's awesome um yeah i can't there's not a there's not a a, a ton of downside to to any of this um I would just say that, you know, you want to be careful with how much, you know, you get involved with an OEM only because you're, it's like anything in business. You never know how long things are going to stick around. Uh, And we've seen in the past, Mark, um, other uh, OEMs who have come into Formula One and come into racing and got out just as quickly as they got in. So with this... You know, let's let's hope this is you know a long, long term, uh, fruitful relationship, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see uh, what Audi can do because there's no doubt in my mind that uh, they won't be competitive because they are competitive in everything that they compete in. Uh, even if we go back to the American Le Mans days. Um, with the uh, the Audi program, 
there, dominated. Dominated 24 hours of Le Mans. Uh, they've dominated pretty much everything they've gotten involved in, so it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see Audi come in in the next year. They they are not dominating, but they're winning. Let's hear from Stefano Domenicali, uh, CEO of Formula One. Well, Actually, it's a great day, a great day for the sport. And uh, when uh, there is a new journey starting, you see the emotion of the people involved, the positive emotion. Uh, it's a journey that uh, uh, started, uh, in a way, many years ago. And uh, personally, I'm very happy to see that now is coming to a real life, uh, as you may understand. But uh, it's good because Formula One is even an incredible moment today. And this is another step into the growth of what Formula One represents in terms of leadership of uh, innovation, uh, sport entertainment and great technical, technical challenges. And I think that the hybridization with sustainable fuel is a direction that uh, will enable manufacturers and teams to work very hard to keep uh, you know, the highest standard in terms, as I said, of uh, new ideas that will be able to keep the manufacturer always with different solutions ready for the portfolio to offer to the customer. But we are a sporting platform, thanks to the FIA, because of the vision that we had together to that uh, allow you know, the actual manufacturer to have other competitors. That's the beauty of the sport. That's the beauty of one of today. You know, listening to Stefano and, and really reflecting back on some of the conversations you and I have had in the past couple of years, Tim, you know, we we hooked up the first time back in 2019, so three, three and a half years ago. And, and I remember then you talking to me about how incredibly important it is for Formula One not to attract OEMs, because that's critically important to the future success of the sport, but it's retaining them. And I, I remember you saying that, and you make a great point that we were here when Toyota came in to much fanfare, and they flared out and disappeared with little to no success, except for a couple of podiums. BMW hooks up with Sauber, they exit the sport. Honda comes as a works manufacturer, they exit. They come back as a power unit manufacturer, they exit. Like That's not good for Formula One. And one of the things I have to give Liberty... And to a lesser extent, the FIA, but I give Liberty a ton of praise for is they've built an environment now in Formula One that is attractive to these new manufacturers when there's no cost cap and there's very little regulation about how you develop your power unit. There's no incentive for them to come because I could be Toyota. I could come and spend a half billion dollars building a factory and developing a power unit and get absolutely no marketing benefit because I'm not successful. Now you have a cost cap. I know I have cost certainty. I'm going to spend $140 million a year on this team. You know what? This is good. And then when you also now have a power unit specification, which is much better aligned, I think, with what manufacturers want to be selling in their cars, synthetic fuels, no longer having the MGUH, more, more electrical power being generated from the MGUK. Like These are things that are good. And like you said, all of this work that Liberty has done, and again, the, dis the departure of Honda is heartbreaking. And I think that given a redo, that wouldn't have happened and they probably would have stayed and they might still come back. But I think that what we saw today with this Audi announcement is the culmination of all of the work that Liberty's done. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. For sure. I mean, <clears throat> if I go back to, you know, the days of 2014, 2015 and, you know, uh, 2016 and Red Bull's looking for a different engine supplier outside of Renault and there's only other two other options for them at that time. And, 
and where are they going to go? And their hands were kind of tied. And it's kind of like, well, if, you know, you dropped a Mercedes in the back of that Red Bull, they would probably have beaten Mercedes to, you know, 2015 championship and might probably would have beaten them in the 2016 championship as well. So that is, is that um, playing field that we talk about when you have to be careful with OEMs when they get involved with racing because they build the engines if you don't have engines you don't go racing and if you give them too much power you're also going to be in trouble and i think if we look at the you know the 2014 15 16 you know i think like mercedes did have too much power at that point right if you really take a look at it and i think that can be dangerous for a sport like Formula One, it can also be great at the same time. So it's a double-edged sword. I think that now Formula One is going to have a cost cap, uh, not only for the cars, but engines as well in 2026. Uh, that's that's really smart. I think it needs to stay with that. It needs to stick, stick with that. Um, and also, it's important that the sponsors who are coming on board and the fans, I think those need to be the priority i think i think that needs to be your priority that that needs to that's i think that's more important than than oem that's fascinating and i didn't think you were going to take it in, in that in that dimension is that because well please please like is it because we're now at a place where there's a healthy number because you're right flashback to 2016 you have ferrari on the grid you have honda that's come back but they're having a terrible time the Renault relationship with red bull is completely broken down and and that's more or less it and Renault come back but they're a little bit dicey as a works team and if you recall and for a lot of our listeners you may not remember this but there was a lot of politicking within F1 because Mercedes is like we're not op- we're supplying teams with power units we're not obligated under the rules of the sport to supply anybody else and Bernie was politicking desperately for Mercedes to supply Red Bull in fact at the 2016 Japanese Grand Prix and I'll never forget this if you watch that Grand Prix if you go back to the app you will see no Mercedes on screen and it's because Bernie dictated that as a penalty for not supplying Red Bull with power units they would not show those cars on the race so I think Nico won and I think Lewis was on the podium with a third place finish but you don't see them during the broadcast but you're absolutely right that maybe maybe the entire era is a little bit different, but maybe talk about why the fans and, and the sponsors are more important than the OEMs. You know, racing in any sport, you know, really is is cyclical, right? It goes up and down. And at the moment for racing, we're we're on an upward trajectory. And the thing with racing is it's so expensive at some points. Now, granted, it's probably yeah. It's hard to and it's hard to quantify like just how close it is with say like an NFL team, right? And how much an NFL team pays uh, their players per year, and you can add up that you know value. And how does that how does that compare to now a now Formula One team with a cost cap, and also like a factory paid off, and then also your your um, uh, your your grounds have been also paid off at the same time, and then you can take a look at you know, factor X and factor Y and see, see where you're at. If let's say you have a, I don't want to say a split, you know, if you remember the cart split, you know, IndyCar and, and uh cart when they had that huge, huge split, you know, that really damaged um, the sport in North America, open wheel racing uh, it, big time affected a lot of careers, mine in particular as well. 
Um, and cart, you know, in, in 1999, I mean, we, I wasn't in cart at the time. I was uh, in Formula Ford, but, you know, the engine suppliers, you know, you had Mercedes, Honda, uh, and you also had uh, Ford. And as that started to progress and, you know, you got the change in the champ car, you know, you lost engine manufacturers. They just, they went away. You didn't have anyone to build any engines for your race cars. And so I believe it was uh, Kevin Kalkoven invested into Cosworth and they had to manufacture engines that were for the entire grid. That's it. If they're the same engine, everyone got the same exact engine for the entire grid. And now you've rebranded, you're back into IndyCar, you've unified everything, the series is looking really strong. You only have two engine manufacturers. You have Chevy and you have Honda. Right? And they, you know, they're strong and they're sticking with um they're sticking with IndyCar, but there's that power dynamic whereas okay, you know, how much you know, power can you give to the to the engine manufacturer so you don't necessarily handcuff yourself to it, where it's kind of like, okay, if they decide to go, we need a backup plan, right? And I'm not saying, like, every engine manufacturer is going to leave Formula One. That's ridiculous. But at the same time, it's kind of like you, I think, I think you, you have to prioritize, you know, sponsorship because sponsorship, um, especially... You know, in my time coming up through racing is so important. Sponsorship was so important. So were the like the fans, and the fans still are. If not, the fans are even more important now than ever before because there are so many of them, and you have to satisfy that. And that's why I think that that needs to be that that needs to be the focus. I just I just feel that getting more sponsors involved and making sure your fan base is satisfied. Uh, for me, is is so so important, and then the engine manufacturers will benefit off of that on the back end. That's an interesting point that you make about power unit manufacturers or OEMs wielding too much power in the sport. And I, I look at this grid right in front of me right now. If we if we want to kind of visit the current grid, Mercedes is supplying power units to 40% of the teams in Formula One. Obviously, their works team, McLaren, which is probably not long-term. Aston Martin, you know, Mike Cracks hinted that he might want to develop his own for 2026. And of course, Williams. And I think we've we all believe that that Williams partnership may not end. But 40% of the grid. Mercedes supplies McLaren, Williams themselves, and we'll just say there's votes involved to push something through. So if I'm, you know, McLaren and I've gotten a good deal on an engine for Mercedes, because they make great engines, where's my vote going? Yeah. They vote in blocks, you my friends. They vote in blocks. This is what I'm there you go. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, hundred percent. But that to me is why and again, I'll finish that. So Mercedes, four teams, Ferrari, obviously Ferrari, Alfa Romeo, which is obviously going to end Haas, Red Bull powertrains, aka Honda supplying Red Bull, Alfa Tauri, and Renault is supplying Alpine, which of course is the Renault works team. But I, I think that there's a benefit to having more OEMs rather than less, because if you have more, there's it's less likely you're going to have a situation where one team is dominating the grid with their, their power units, right? Like in this case, it's probably a little bit unfortunate because I think Audi's going to come in and they're not really going to add. Well, I guess in a sense, Mercedes is going to be around. Ferrari's not going anywhere. Red Bull powertrains is going to transform into Porsche, which you alluded to a couple of minutes ago. And Renault is going to stay on the grid. So it's really the loss of Honda, which might morphs into Porsche. In this case, you are in essence adding a truly fifth 
OEM to the grid, which can't be a bad thing because it it does the exact opposite of what you describe. It reduces the likelihood that you get these big voting blocks, doesn't it? Well, what if I'm Andretti and I come into Formula One and I need an engine and I get Audi and we got a good deal. I've made sure that uh, the dollars and cents make sense. (laughs) (laughs) And... What happens if Audi decides to leave? And I'm Andretti. What am I doing? I got to go negotiate with somebody else who's probably not going to give me as good a deal. And I got to figure out how am I going to make up that difference? It just adds to it, right? Like it's just kind of snowball effect. They don't need to leave to create that vacuum. You you mentioned that example of Red Bull, that Red Bull and Renault had a great partnership from 10 to 13. They won four titles. There was always some acrimony and some tension in that relationship, but that relationship dissolved completely in the turbo hybrid era. And even though Renault wasn't leaving the sport, that was no longer a relationship that could sustain. And then you you describe it perfectly. Now they're forced to shop for a power unit. Mercedes wasn't obligated to supply them. And they had to take a chance on Honda, not because they necessarily wanted to, but because there was no other choice. Mercedes wasn't going to supply them. Ferrari's a perennial competitor. Renault was out of the choice. They had one option left on the grid, right? Yeah, well, there was... was a time i think i can't remember the the correct date it was either 2015 or 2016 and red bull was looking to you know get out of their contract with renault and go somewhere else but ferrari wasn't going to supply them with a with a power unit and mercedes didn't want to supply them with a power unit and so renault said okay well you don't want us see you later and they weren't going to take them back until bernie got involved and so that's how that had to come about so it's you see what I mean? Like, it's like you can be, you know, you can be just, you can be pushed out or shut out very quickly. So it's, you just gotta, yeah, you know. <laughs> as a as a side note for everyone listening at home, if you are a power unit manufacturer, you are obligated to supply at least one team. So Mercedes supplies four. They're not obligated to supply anyone else. Neither but is when Ferrari. Did that come in? Neither but is when power- did that come in? Yeah, right about exactly. that time. Yeah, right about that time. And that was a big time power play from Bernie to get that into the Concord agreement. So for instance, Andretti, if they were to come into Formula One right now, Mercedes doesn't have to supply them. Neither does Ferrari. Obviously, Porsche wouldn't. Alpine would be obligated to supply them. And again, Alpine, Renault would want to supply yeah. them. Like if I'm a power manuf- power unit manufacturer, I want to be For supplying sure. teams because that's a source of yes. income and a source of data. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So according to according to the chairman of the board of management of Audi, Marcus Duesman, and I quote, motorsport is integral part of Audi's DNA. Formula One is both a global stage for our brand and a highly challenging development laboratory. The combination of high performance and competition is always a driver of innovation and technology transfer in our industry. With the new rules, now is the right time for us to get involved. After all, Formula One and Audi both pursue clear sustainability goals. And you touched on the fact that a couple of minutes ago, a big reason for them to enter the sport and make this announcement now is that the 2026 Formula One power unit regulations have been confirmed. They've been finalized. And a big part of this is, obviously, we discussed this so many times, the MGUH is gone, super complex piece of technology, and they're going fully synthetic fuels. How much of that do you think played into Audi's decision to come into oh, the sport? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was huge. I think losing the MGUH was the biggest part part of it because it's such a complex, complex and expensive piece of technology um, that they they must feel that it's not going to be you know road relevant. They must feel that it's 
that has no relevance whatsoever being in a road going car. And so then why am I spending hundreds of millions of dollars to develop this piece of tech that's, you know, never going to see the light of day anywhere else? And you know what? They got a point. They got a they got a good point, man. And if they can if they can figure out a good power source with the kinetic and getting more out of that uh, and it's cheaper. Yeah, for sure. Then I, that makes total business sense to get involved in, in Formula One. It's a marketing machine, right? And it's not costing you, you know, boatloads of money to put this engine together that you can then go and translate it into your road going, you know, vehicles. We have this conversation even offline, right, Mark, with EVs yeah. and what's the, yeah. you know, what's their place? You know, Audi has their EV fleet already. They're solid. Um, but you're never going to do away with the internal combustion engine that's already running on the road for a very long time. And I think having another form of fuel, like a drop-in um, that's sustainable, and then also having a different type of uh, uh, internal combustion hybrid that runs on your road that gets you more distance and that can operate in some very extreme climate, uh, I think that's important. I think you do do need those two things to come together um, for us for, for road relevancy moving forward. I think you just touched on a really great point, and, and I want to clarify for our listeners at home because this is a term that I use all the time, road relevant, road relevant, road relevant. There's two pieces here. One is the marketing piece, which is if Formula One cars are running a form of power unit that isn't at all related to what are in production cars that you see on the street, there's a marketing disconnect here. And it's one of the reasons why Pirelli pushed so hard to get 18-inch wheels on these cars. Nobody has a 13-inch wheel on their 2022 Super Impressive WRX STI, right? It's an 18 or a 19-inch wheel. And likewise with the engines. The other piece, and this is why Formula E is in a really precarious position right now is Formula E is shedding manufacturers. And they're shedding manufacturers because companies like BMW are saying, the regulations, the formula in Formula E is so tight, we can no longer innovate. We can no longer learn anything that we can apply to our road-going fleet. And in this case... But then how how far... Sorry to cut you off, but how far... How far have they pushed the envelope on that battery? I would say not far enough. Really? You think they can go further with that? With today's formula, probably not. But I think if they opened up the formula, for sure. Yeah, but like how? Like where else are you going to... Like you're already like, I mean, if I, we I live in a day and age now where I think if we're going to explore that and really leverage it, I think it would already be done. I think you would already have like these super EVs that are, you know, mind-blowingly fast or whatever. I'm not saying that a Formula E car is not fast. They are very fast. That's what I'm, but I'm, what I'm saying is, is that how much further can the battery technology go? That, that would be my question, and I would love to learn more about it. I just, I really would. I'm very fascinated by it. You know, and you and I have been having this conversation all week with some friends in a chat about the road relevance of synthetic fuels and EVs, and we even got into the environmental impact that I think you and I talk so much about the fact that there's this perception that electric cars are the future and they're going to save the planet, but nobody's asking questions about where are those batteries coming from? And where do the batteries go at the end of the vehicle life, right? And furthermore, where are you pulling the electricity from to to power these batteries? So those are questions that we probably don't necessarily want to get into to today. Or 
and bore people to bore death. people to death. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. We could just pull up our chats and just start reading them. So ultimately, <laughs> Audi's here. I think this is a good news story. Let's hear from Audi's chief development officer, Oliver Hoffman. Yeah, so first of all, we started to electrify our motorsport program beginning in 2012 to, with our hybrid cars at Le Mans. Um, and we continued the path with uh, Formula E and also with our Dakar project. Um, we want to win the first car manufacturer, the, the Rally Dakar, with, with an electrified powertrain. So the logical next step is to entering Formula One. And we expect uh, technically the most, most uh, highly uh, developed um, electric engines and uh, they will be as powerful as a, as an internal combustion engine we expect for the next years and we will our engineers will learn a, a lot about the next generation of electric engines battery technology and especially software and we Marcus and me and our whole team we love the challenge um, in formula 1 so then just to recap everything that you and I have been talking about today Audi is officially going to enter Formula One in 2026 as a power unit manufacturer. What they did not announce today is that they are going to be joining as a team, as a works team, or in partnership with another team. All they've announced is that they're going to start developing power units with the intention of deploying them into the Formula One grid in 2026. Now, the rumor, and they have been flowing rampant for the past six months, is that one, they were going to partner or buy McLaren. And of course, that didn't happen. It would have been fairly complicated and involved to get the McLaren road car division into Volkswagen's portfolio of brands. It was rumored that they were talking to Aston Martin. And I think both you and I agree that that was never, never a logical destination or outcome. And of course, they've been talking with Sauber and Sauber seemed to be the most likely destination. In fact, earlier today, Sauber, Alfa Romeo have announced that their partnership will end after 2023. And to remind people listening at home, we've reported, and by reported, I mean we've read other people's reports that Audi is in a position to eventually take control of 75% of the Sauber operations. Tim, is it therefore safe to assume that Audi will buy Sauber or some portion of Sauber? Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. Uh, from some of the folks I've talked, I've spoken with, um, yeah, it sounds like they've already signed sealed and delivered um what the percentage what the percentages are i i am i am very that's unclear at the moment uh hasn't been explored enough on my end to to really get a good grasp at uh how much uh, i believe it's finn rousing uh is going to be giving up so yeah uh, from my understanding it's they're 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 not giving basically the Andretti deal to buy uh, Sauber last year, that amount of money doesn't even get them 100% of Sauber. doesn't even get them close. That's from my yeah, understanding. Yeah, what, what I've read is that Audi will be paying more for a smaller stake than, than Andretti was looking to take. So the rumor, the speculation is that they will ultimately gradually over a three-year period assume 75% of control of the team. Sauber um, will keep the base in its current location, so they will not be building a new factory. They will not be building a new wind tunnel, but the power units will be built in Audi's base 
in Germany. So I think we can expect to hear that. We know at one point they were sniffing around Aston Martin, and you poo-pooed that right away, that that made no sense, that Lawrence Stroll is not going to get in and spend a billion dollars to build a factory and build a team to sell it on to, to Audi, especially with all the energy he's putting into the Aston Martin road car division, which of course is also linked to Mercedes. That never made sense. But the McLaren one you, you was would, maybe close. You would think I... You, you would think I know what I was talking Dude, about, Dude, I right? give you credit all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, so yeah, we expect it to be Sauber. Now, my friend, your thought, because the other thing that was confirmed today, which was also highly speculated, is that despite the fact that Audi and Porsche, and we haven't had the formal Porsche announcement yet, but despite the fact that both of them belong to the same corporate entity, the Volkswagen Group, it's been announced that they're both going to develop their power units independent of one another. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think... Um that Red Bull powertrain division is going to play a big, big role in what happens with uh, the Porsche engine. Uh, and I think it's, it's probably a good idea when you're talking about competition to push the envelope from both sides. Uh, those are at the same time, separate divisions of Volkswagen anyways. And even though they are under the same roof, so to speak, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean they can't compete against each other which they probably you know they should be competing against each other and they have been competing against each other and they will continue to do that and i think that's a smart option on their behalf simply because again if you go back to the road relevancy part of things whatever porsche learns and whatever audi learns those are going to go into all the road going cars so whoever develops what best is probably going to go into the road going vehicles eventually and i think um having Having that will push push the Volkswagen Group uh, forward, actually, in terms of uh, on the technology side of things. My friend, let's take a quick break because when we get back, I want to shift gears. That's a terrible pun. <laughs> Sorry to everybody at home. Let's take a quick break, pay some of those proverbial bills. And when we get back, I want to talk to you a little bit about Daniel Ricardo. Oscar Piastri, and a bunch of things you've probably already talked about on your own podcast, but I'm going to make you talk about them again. We'll see you guys in 30 seconds. See you on the flip side. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, 
Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me once again, friend of the show, TSN racing analyst extraordinaire, Mr. Tim, <laughs> Mr. Tim Marine. Man, you're so humble. You need to flex on your skills sometimes. Yeah, that, that's a heavy flex. Extraordinaire. Extraordinary. A legend, my friend. <laughs> And not even in the making. I'm just a normal dude, man. Uh, you're awesome. I'm just a normal dude. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about the fact that Audi is going to join Formula One. This has long been rumored. I want to shift gears, like I said, to Daniel Ricciardo, because another thing that has long, long, long been rumored in the Formula One paddock and outside of the paddock has been the fact that there could be an early departure of Daniel Ricciardo from McLaren. So he obviously departed the Red Bull team a couple of years ago. He spent two years with Alpine and then made the switch to McLaren, where he was actually rumored to be going before the Alpine move. Of course, in his last year with Alpine, he scored a couple of podiums. He hasn't been as successful with McLaren. A couple of days ago, he released a social media statement, which I'm going to play right now. Hi, everyone. I uh, wanted to share some news. Uh, it's not great. Uh, it's bittersweet for sure. But uh, I think it's best you hear it from me. Uh, 2022 will be my last year with McLaren. Um, yeah, just... Obviously, we put in a lot of effort on both sides, but just hasn't worked the way we wanted. Uh, so the team's decided to make a change for next year. And so we had a lot of discussions, but uh, in the end, we mutually agreed that it was the right thing for both of us. Um, I will continue to do the rest of this year, absolutely. Um, and I'll continue to give it my all. Um, so uh, that's that's that, I think, for the the future what lies ahead uh, i'm not sure yet um not sure yet but uh but we'll see you know I, I look back on this time with mclaren i look back with a smile i learned a lot about myself i think things that will help me for the next step in my career but i think just in general and in, in life uh you know i think to you know from a results point of view for sure like to consistently get the the results and that form that i was after you know it wasn't wasn't always there and, you know, made some weekends tough. Um, you know, I felt those absolutely. Um, but I also, you know, have many happy memories of my time at the team. And I think about Monza, you know, I think about standing on the top step. I think about, you know, bringing the the team their first win since 2012, you know, like that, that sort of stuff was, was awesome. And to see the smile on everyone's faces, to just be in that moment, you know, that's something I'll never forget. So, yeah, there's um, there's a lot of good stuff to take from this as well. The sport, you know, I still love it. I still love it. You know, this this hasn't affected any of that. Um, I still have that that fire in me, that that belief in in my belly that I can do this at the highest level. Um, so yeah, all that stuff's still there. Um, but yeah, just wanted to say appreciate everyone's support through the highs, lows, everything in between. Um, this isn't it for me. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what lies ahead. Um, but just want to say appreciate you. Um. So Tim, Daniel Ricardo, it looks like he and the brass at McLaren have negotiated an exit of his deal. What does this mean for McLaren? And what does this mean for the future of Daniel Ricardo in Formula One? Daniel, I think, will be in, in Formula One on the grid. And in 2023, if he can find... Uh, the ride that is best suited for him, and by that I mean most competitive. And the next most competitive team on the grid is Alpine. When you factor in 
uh, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, it's Alpine, Dennis McLaren. It would be a lateral move on his part. Uh, you know, he had some very good success there, like you had mentioned. Struggled his first season when they were originally Renault. And then his second season, he got on top of things. It was very quick. Now, this wasn't a nasty divorce. Because the media would you make you think otherwise, right? And, and not necessarily the accomplished media, but social media, yes. the clickbait sites. They would make you think that this was really acrimonious. Yeah, so I, was, uh, I heard from Zach Brown on Wednesday when he did uh, a Zoom media call uh, with him and Andreas Seidel. And... You know, none of them had a bad thing to say about about Daniel, and they were very classy in how they handled the situation. They answered almost all of our questions. I mean, there were some questions that kind of didn't go a- answered, which probably should have. Like, hey, what happened here? Um, but at the end of the day, they, you know, they they made an offer for for Daniel to maybe race for them in either IndyCar. Formula E, WEC, uh, sorry, not WEC, Extreme E. Um, and he wanted to stay in Formula One. That was that was what he wanted. And so they they settled on a buyout. I don't think, I think the reason he didn't get the full amount uh, that he was promised in his contract was because he was going to be sticking around Formula One. And so, which leads me to believe he must have some sort of written agreement with one of the teams i feel it's probably alpine i mean that you know may may be off way off base on that one but i don't know i got a, i got a pretty good feeling about that one i think it all comes down to what happens when oscar piastri mclaren alpine that whole situation goes to the uh contract recognition board formula one on monday and we'll see what happens from there so one of the interesting things with that, Mark, is that let's say Alpine wins that case, McLaren's just shot themselves in the foot because they won't have another driver to put in that seat. So they must feel they have a pretty pretty solid case for for having Piastri in their car for next season. I really I want to shift over to Piastri because that is a juicy juicy storyline and we've had a lot of listeners reach out and say is this is this normal in formula one is there usually a lot of drama around drivers changing teams and historically yes there has has been a but this one is is pretty unique but with respect to making the transition back to alpine daniel ricardo was asked that exact question a couple of days ago and matt morledge reports on sky sports that daniel said quote i want to get back to winning i want to get back to fighting for podiums and wins an eight-time race winner said he's like that's what gives me the most happiness one thing that has remained unchanged for me is I never wanted to be a driver just to be on the grid. Of course, I love the sport and I love everything that comes with it. But at this point in my career, it's just about winning. Under the right circumstances, the right opportunity, absolutely, it's where I want to be. But obviously, I might not have every option available. Do you think that Alpine would be a good fit for him at this point? Or should he, and he's hinted at this himself, take a one-year sabbatical? And if he does that, would there necessarily be an option for him in 2024? I don't think he should... If he can get with Alpine, there's no sense in taking a sabbatical. Like, let's take a look at Alpine's development. And since bringing Otmar Safnauer over to the team, just how fast they've incorporated 
all of the upgrades onto this year's car and how fast they've developed it. They've developed this car at a rate at which they were bringing new parts to it pretty much every single race uh, for the first half of the season, which is more than any other team did. And they weren't bringing like tiny little upgrades. They were bringing big upgrades, brand new side pods for the uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix, full upgrades for Silverstone, new nose, new wing here, new underfloor here. I mean, he's going to a team that is truly committed to winning. He's also going to a team, well, I shouldn't say he's going to because he's not, but he could be. He could be going to a team that, you know, is developing a car uh, at a rate at which, you know, if he's able to, to to get onto that team and stick around till 2024, you know, that could be a race-winning team. They could be a race-winning team. They could. They have the right management in place now. I mean, Almar Safnauer, if we remember his days at Force India, Racing Point, he did a lot with very little. 100%. 100%. And when I mean very yeah. little, I mean no, very little. Nothing, my friend. <laughs> now he's got a lot. And you're seeing what he can do with a lot. And so I find um, I find that to be a good move for Daniel if if it happens. I think that makes sense. Now, I did hear from Gunther Steiner on, on Thursday. And he did have some text exchanges with Daniel before Hungary. But it was no real serious talk. There was no money talk. There was no contract talk. There was no where are you racing next year talk. It was just kind of chatter of like, hey, what are you doing next season type deal. So Haas is obviously interested. And... Williams would probably be interested too. But if I'm Daniel Ricardo, I don't think I want to go backwards. I would then take the sabbatical. So if Alpine wasn't available, if the options were Haas and Williams, you take the sabbatical, take the chance that there's something else is going yeah. to be available. So I, I've got another question for you just on this topic. So Alpine is available right now. Maybe not because as you spoke to a couple of minutes ago, the contract... I can't remember what you called it, the contract negotiation board, some magical institution, contract mm-hmm. recognition, recognition board, board. some yeah, magical yeah, contract recognition. So the contract, well, I'll explain it real quick. So the contract recognition board, it came into fruition in 1991 when we had the fallout between uh, Jordan Benetton and Michael Schumacher. Yes. And that's when the contract recognition board was, was born. It's a group of lawyers uh, who get together and they help sort out uh, who has the rights to things like drivers. And they will take a look at this on Monday. It may take a while um, and they'll sort out as to who has the right to Oscar Piastri. So I, I want to follow that up with this question. And Snafnauer, the 58-year-old Romanian-American, was quoted a couple of days ago saying this about Oscar Piastri. And I quote, he's a promising young driver who hasn't driven in Formula One yet. And my wish for Oscar was that he had a little bit more integrity. He, being Oscar, signed a piece of paper as well back in November. And we've done everything on our end of the bargain to prepare him for Formula One. His end of the bargain was to either drive for us or take a seat where we would place him. But for the next three years, and I just wish Oscar would have remembered what he had signed in November and what he signed up to. So if Alpine is as great a seat as I think you and I both believe it is, that that car is a very, very well-tuned package, especially with all the upgrades they've brought in this year. And if it's such a great fit for Daniel, 
What happened in the relationship between Oscar, Weber, and Snafnauer to create a situation where he basically put the middle finger up at that team and walked away? Essentially, there were so many dominoes that had to fall for this situation to be sort of a perfect storm. Now, from my understanding, you know, the, his his contract uh with Alpine, it, it wasn't it wasn't that it was up, but Alpine had to make a decision on him by August 1st, I believe the date was. And if they hadn't have done that, then from my understanding, he would have the pick of where he wanted to go. Alpine wanted to put him at a team where he could stay there for a couple years and, and learn, like a Williams. Like George Russell did with Williams. Yes, something similar, where he could learn and, and grow a little bit more, and then they can squeeze whatever life Fernando left, Fernando Alonso has left in him, and then bring over Oscar when he was ready. I don't think that they were willing at the time to really consider putting a rookie into that car because I think they know how close they are getting and the amount of experience that they need to really push uh, the car forward. And, you know, if you look at Fernando Alonso, I mean, that's the best guy to have in your car. He's such a huge name, but he has so much experience, Mark, right? Yep. And Fernando wanted a bit more than what Alpine was, you know, prepared to, to, to give him. Then you have Sebastian Vettel announcing his retirement. And when he announced his retirement, I got wind that... <laughs> You know, <laughs> Aston Martin was talking to Fernando Alonso, and I was like, yep, that's definitely going to happen. You want to know why? Because Lawrence has a relationship with him, and he would be the perfect fit to, to replace Sebastian Vettel at Aston Martin. For Fernando, he looks at Aston Martin and says, right, they're giving me everything I want. They're giving me all the money I want. They're giving me the amount of years that I want, and they have a ton of talent that they've accrued behind the scenes. And I want to be a part of that because I know the people who are going to be working on these race cars moving forward. And I know the race cars that they've worked on in the past and those race cars won championships. And that's where I want to be. And so for Fernando, this is a, it's a tiny bit of a long game, right? It, it is a tiny bit of a long game for him, but that ends up happening. Fernando and Mark Weber are good friends, so I'm sure at some point they were chatting somewhere. <laughs> you know, who knows? And then obviously you got Mark Weber who's managing Oscar Piastri. Now he had uh, some sort of a pre-contract, uh, from what I was told, some sort of a pre-contract with, with McLaren or something like that. And it's sort of just everything struck at the right time and... Alpine was kind of left sitting there like, wait a second. <laughs> so they exercised uh, their rights for him. And I believe since, if I, I don't want to mess this up, but I think it's because August 1st fell on a weekend. That's technically not a working day. So it gets moved over to the next working day, which would be a Monday. And so that's when they would break that news because technically... I guess if they were counting that, then that would technically mean that his contract would still go over to Alpine. I'm not a lawyer, and I don't necessarily understand how all these contracts work. But at the end of the day, I'm taking a wild guess at this, and that's my my assumption. 
And the thing with, you know, some of these driver contracts, you know, like there's, and I don't know, Mark, if you're aware, but like when I was racing, we had, there was a, there's a, there's a couple different options. You know, there was the, the contract that had the team option. I usually had to sign those. Um, simply because the team would be helping fund my racing career and paying for most, mostly, not mostly, but some of, some of the things there, then there's a, a driver option contract and it, that's the contract that a driver can negotiate their own future. And that, that one is important. If you, if you, it, it, when you get to be like, you know, Lewis Hamilton would have a driver option, you know, he, he just would. Uh, Daniel Ricardo has a driver option, you know, and so he can, he can basically, um, say where he wants to go, say what he wants to do. That's why he was kind of like the trigger in that McLaren contract. He, he had to trigger the, he had, he would have to trigger the clause, uh, to, to jump out of it. So there's a lot that goes into these contracts in formula one. Like there is a ton of stuff. Um, I know my contracts were never as in depth as, as these ones are like, these ones are like in formula one are hardcore, man. There's even performance clauses. Like if you get to a certain number of races and you're not executing at, you know, whatever the percentage is, you know, they, they can easily cut you loose. They don't have to renew you. Um, yeah. And you can do deals like one in ones. So you're there for one year with an option of a second. So there's, there's so much that goes into it and the stuff with Piastri, it sounds so confusing and convoluted that uh hopefully we get like a good a good picture of it when it's all when it's all said and done Tim, I also have a pre-contract. My pre-contract is with Sky Sports. But for me to get a job there, Naomi Schiff, you and Mark Daly. Ted Kravitz, Jensen Button, Nico <laughs> Rosberg, Paul DeResta, Anthony Davidson, David Hill, Martin Brundle, Craig Slater, Rachel Brooks, Johnny Herbert, Natalie Pinkman, Karun, David, and Simon Lazenby all have to leave for me to get my shot. But I have a pre-contract. I joke. I jest. I jest. My friend, earlier this week, Fernando Alonso was actually asked about making a move to a team that is lower in the Constructors' Championship than his current team and he said and I thought this was a really fascinating quote doesn't matter being fourth or ninth or 13th you are first or you are not winning and I think all the F1 teams and drivers we are here to be the top spot which reminds me of Dom from Fast and Furious which says you either win by an inch or you win by a mile second place means nothing so I thought that was an interesting quote but I also like that point you made about the fact that Lawrence Stroll was in a point position to satisfy all his needs right like he's got the money He's got the term. And ultimately, if I'm Lawrence Stroll, I'm accountable to nobody when it comes to signing a driver. Like, this is my vanity project. This is my pet project. That even if the leadership team, Lauren Rossi and Otmar Snafnow at Renault, wanted to give him that money, give him that term, they have to go to the board of directors at Renault Nissan and argue that this is a smart move. And ultimately, they decide whether that's a good move because it's a big chunk of money. So I think you're right that as soon as you got a sniff that he was talking to Aston Martin. That was that was a lock. Now, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, because this is some of the juicy gossip that kind of spilled over at the beginning of the month, right when the summer break was about to start, but it was about the fact that allegedly Otmar Snafnauer didn't know that Fernando was leaving the team. And earlier this week, Fernando was actually asked, like, 
did did he not know? And he said, quote unquote, this is Fernando speaking. It's true. Otmar probably didn't know anything, but I did inform Laurent Rossi and President Luca DeMeo, my mechanics and my, my engineers before my announcement. So he openly, candidly says, I told everyone at Alpine except for the team principal. What happened or what do you think may have happened to that relationship between Fernando and Otmar? That is a great question. <laughs> and I wish <laughs> what you don't want nobody to touch. knows. <laughs> no one knows that answer. Uh, it's yeah, no one no one knows that answer. We I have an understanding of how it chronologically played out. Seb retires. <laughs> Lawrence starts talking to Fernando. That deal gets done on a Sunday at the Hungarian Grand Prix, gets signed off on a Monday and gets published because they didn't want any leaks. That's how fast that deal got done. One more driver-related story before we jump to another quick break. And this is something that I think I'm probably really excited about because obviously I'm emotionally invested in him. He's a great kid, a great Canadian driver. But Sky Sports is reporting that Yost Capito, and I'm going to quote him here, said this earlier this week. He is willing to continue working with us, he being Nicole or Nicole, Nicholas Latifi. He is willing to continue with us and we would be willing to continue with him. Yost Capito says Williams would be happy to continue with their driver pairing for next season and praised Nicholas Latifi's significant improvement in the last few races of the championship. You know what? I think now more than ever that this is probably a lock. And I I shouldn't say a lock, but I feel like there's a greater possibility of this happening and it makes me very happy. Do you think there's a chance that this is going to happen? Sorry, knock on wood, knock on wood. I hope, you know, Nicholas gets back on the grid as well, (laughs) but we all know what he has to do. He has to perform. That's, That's the name of the game. And he knows that. Him and I have spoken about it several times. Uh, He knows the deal. And I would say summer break came at an inopportune time for him. And he probably has until just after Monza, I think, to impress. Um, Didn't look... The greatest in Friday afternoon running in free practice two. Uh, but again, wet weather and, you know, drying track conditions played a big factor in that. But he looked pretty good in free practice one. He was on pace with Alex. And I think the only sector he was really losing out to Alex was sector two. Sector one and sector three, he was... He was pretty even with Alex the whole way around. Um, look, I think he can. I think he's just as fast as Alex. I think Nicholas is, you know, at some points can be faster. We've seen him be faster than George Russell on certain occasions. Uh, we know he can do it. I think at the end of the day, getting that chassis change in Silverstone, we've seen some uh, very good performances. We've seen him outperform Alex this season. The only, so, I mean, after he got the chassis change, he he started to outperform Alex. Um, Whereas in the beginning of the season or the first, you know, whatever, first eight races, nine races, uh, Alex was, you know, handedly outperforming him. And then you get that chassis change and things have remarkably have turned around. So I find that very interesting. Um, But regardless of that, uh, he, he's done, he's done a good job to close the gap. And I just, uh, he just needs to keep performing, keep it consistent. 
Uh, and yeah, I, I don't see why not. You know, I don't see why not you wouldn't get him back. You know, the thing is, is like he takes a pound in on social media, eh? Like, like it's unbelievable. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, he's a talented driver. He's just is. It's just the way it is. Just certain things that he's having trouble with at the moment with uh, this new regulation. Uh, but it looks like he's gotten to grips with it. And I, I just don't know who else that Williams would want to put in that car. Like, let's take a look at it. Honestly, you're going through a new regulation change, Mark. And you've got an experienced driver who just scored some points for you. And we take a look at what else is out there. Daniel Ricardo's there, but you know you're not going to get him. Where else are you going? New regulation change. New regulate. You're in a regulation change. Do you take a rookie? If I'm Williams, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I want somebody yeah. in that car that no. is familiar with Formula Definitely One, not. the tracks, that the team. I want somebody that's familiar yeah. with that chassis. Bringing in a rookie for me, unless they bring significant funding, does nothing for the development of my team or the development of my car. Nikki, Nikki's the safe bet, and I think at one point we all assumed it was going to be Oscar, and that potentially there could be a bigger tie-up between between Renault and Williams in the future. That fell apart for all the reasons that we just talked about. But I just I feel at this point it seems like a great fit. And I don't think Mick's going anywhere. I think he'll probably end up back at Haas, but I think it's probably going to be Nicholas. And I think it's just the right fit for that team. I think so too. I agree. Let's take one more quick break. And when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about Spa because we are on the eve of the back half of the 2022 championship. And there's some really positive news coming out of Spa that are in direct contradiction or is a direct contradiction to something that we were reporting as recently as a week ago with Matt Sakaris. Hang on. We'll be right back after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. If you've been tuning into our show through the summer break, you know we have been lamenting the imminent loss of spa on the 2023 formula one calendar we know it's going to be 24 races next year that is the maximum allowable number of races under the current concord agreement and with the expectation that china is going to come back next year for the first time since 2019 and that kaya was potentially going to join the championship 
that meant Spa and France were going to be on the outside looking in. France officially will not be on the 2023 calendar, but Stefano Domenicali, CEO of Formula One, has announced that Spa has a one-year reprieve. They will be back on the calendar, and it's because, and I'm quoting here from RN365 from Dieter Rankin, hope for a South African Grand Prix in 2023 have been dashed after a series of negotiations between F1, the local race promoter, and the owners of the Kailami circuit have broken down. Although F1, owned by Liberty Media, is determined to stage a race in Africa, a new promoter is likely to be sought with 2024 and now the revised target date. The current promoter, South Africa Grand Prix, headed by Warren Schechter, a nephew of 1979 Ferrari world champion Jody, who is chairman of the company, has been informed of the decision a source has confirmed. So this is possibly the perfect segue into doing a mini preview of the race this weekend. Were you heartbroken at the thought of Spa leaving? Are you relaxed, relieved that it's going to remain at least for 2023? You know, up until Thursday, when I went to record my podcast, Spa was on shaky ground. (laughs) And in a matter of a day, we're back. So here we go, man. It's great. I, I, that's where Formula One, you know, it needs to be one of those heritage tracks. Spa needs to be lumped in with that. It is a track where a Formula One car belongs. Uh, It's like it needs to belong there, like Silverstone. You know, you actually see a Formula One car come alive. And, you know, Spa's invested. A lot of money this year in redesigning yeah. some of the track. Have but, they ever? But also have like they off ever? Track, like this, the amount of stuff that they did off track to, you know, appease Formula One is huge. They invested a lot of money on hospitality units and these new, uh, some of these new state of the art grandstands that they put in, and then trying to. Uh, implement more off-track fan-friendly exercises as well because, you know, obviously Liberty Media wants this to be a fan-friendly thing where fans come to the race, but they also get to do X, Y, and Z, go to a concert like with Live Nation or, you know, whatever, go to a go-kart track that's already built there or concerts, volleyball, whatever it is. They want more entertainment off the track as well as on the track. And I think that Spa has done quite a bit to, you know, satisfy that. I mean, they may need to do a little bit more moving forward. Um, and again, it's hard to get into the track, you know, with the roads and stuff, because it's because it is an old school type circuit. But that being said, I mean, I don't know. You can't just go in there and just like say, yeah, that's it. You guys are, you guys are done. Historic track fans love it. Um, I, I can see them. I, I would like to see them back on the calendar for a lot longer than just a one year reprieve. Earlier this week, Christian Horner said something that very much aligns with your perspective. And I quote, Spa for sure. It's one of those historic races, says Christian Horner uh, to Sky Sports F1. Monza, Silverstone, Spa, they're the big and historic ones. We should ring fence those and protect those. It's great that there's these new events coming in and there's interest, but you've got to have that history. It'd be like having the ATP tour without Wimbledon. They're part of our history. They're part of our DNA. We'll definitely make our opinion known, but you've got to trust the people who are running the business at the end of the day. I, I couldn't agree more 
with him that attract like Spa, Monza, Silverstone. They are the DNA of, of this sport and you can't afford to lose them. And I get it that you have new new venues and new promoters coming in willing to offer 40, 50, 60 million dollars. But there are certain venues that need to be embedded permanently into the calendar just for the sake of that connection to the history and the DNA of, of the sport. I couldn't say it any better than Christian Horner. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, and the drivers agree too that that this is what the drivers want. They want um, to be at some of these tracks, and I think that's important. And if you're Formula One, you you got to listen to the drivers. I mean, obviously they're the ones out on the racetrack um, battling it out. Plus, like it's not like Spa's like hard to pass at. You know, it's not like we're it's not like you're renegotiating a deal with like Monaco where you're just like, eh, is he on track? Entertainment like really that good? <laughs> like yeah. honestly though, you know, I don't yeah. want to sit here and. Slam Monaco. I mean, it is like a historic race, but at the end of the day, like qualifying is incredible at Monaco. I love it. It's one of the things I look forward to the most, but the race, I don't. I just don't. The cars are too big, too heavy. You can't pass. So it's kind of like, what do we want, right? It's, <laughs> it's like, what do we want here? I mean, obviously Monaco needs to stay on the calendar as well. Uh, same with Monza. Same with the Canadian Grand Prix. Same with the British Grand Prix. You know, the US GP, you know, you have all of, you need all of these big time races in these countries to uh, have a place on your calendar uh, and all these, you know, really historic tracks, great tracks. Like, you need to have them there. Uh, it just, it is what, what Formula One is. You know, Bill Simmons has been promoting the concept of an in-season tournament in the NBA for, it feels like, the last six or seven years, ever since the ringer got started. But I feel the same way about Formula One, that we need to have certain events that are that are majors, that they are permanent fixtures on the calendar, and you do things to make them more important, whether that's where you have the sprint races or there's additional points available, but there's certain events that need to be the absolute tent poles of, of your calendar, and it can't just be buried next to some other race that doesn't resonate with, with fans. So Belgian Grand Prix, it looks like the weather's going to be clear, it's going to be dry, it's not going to be super hot, so we should have a better outcome than last year. We I don't think we need to relitigate the outcome of the championship race there last year. If you don't remember, Max Verstappen scored pole. He ultimately won the race. George Russell scored second, his only one and only podium with Williams. His first podium as a Formula One driver in Lewis Hamilton finished third. But of course, this was a race that basically didn't happen. And there was a lot of controversy about it being classified at all. This year, my friend, we've got an entirely new formula, new chassis, new wheels, a new aero formula. What are you expecting to see? And of course, we've seen some snippets because we're recording after free practice one and free practice two. Anything we should expect to see? Any predictions for this weekend at, at Spa? Yeah, well, after qualifying, your top five is going to look a lot different because uh, everybody's getting a grid penalty. <laughs> <laughs> so Leclerc, Verstappen, Ocon, Bottas, Norris, and Schumacher all back of the grid for the race on Sunday which is going to make things interesting for qualifying because I think like at the end of the day, if you're Ferrari or Red Bull and you're, you know, you've got a brand new power unit you're putting in, I don't necessarily think you need to be in Q3 uh, throwing down epic times because you know where you're starting anyways, so it doesn't really make much sense. Uh, and you're only just draining life out of your out of your power unit. Uh, so, yeah. If they don't kind of move into Q3, I could see a nice battle for first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. 
but then in the race, again, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, it's going to be pretty exciting. But I think it's going to be really difficult this weekend to hold off Max. Uh, he looks so fast in free practice one and two, man. Oh, my God. I mean, Carlos Sainz was fastest in free practice one. But in free practice two, I mean, Max was like a light year ahead of anybody like it was incredible and again you know drying damp drying track conditions like i was mentioning with nicholas satifi and his lap you know they get some a lot of drivers get caught out with all that um but that being said i i just think it's gonna be really hard to keep max off the podium this weekend and if you're if you're Charles leclerc you gotta get in front of this guy Pirelli has announced we are going to be bringing the C2 hards, the C3 mediums, and the C4 softs this weekend. So the exact mid-range, the midpoint of the tire compounds on, of course, those shiny new 18-inch wheels. My friend, any predictions beyond Max? Any thoughts based on what we've seen in the first half? Of course, for those of you that uh, don't remember, we've seen a resurgent Mercedes, obviously not contending necessarily for race wins, although of course George Russell did score his first career pole right before the break. Uh, Mercedes has been surging. Lewis has been on the podium, it seems, every race for the past two months, and Ferrari continues to trip over their own feet. Despite having arguably the best package on the track when you consider the the arrow and their their power unit anything any predictions for this race for the second half yeah well we'll just do spa because i mean things are going to change once we get to the next race anyway so um if lance stroll can put together if if he can get into q3 put together a great lap i can see lance stroll fighting for a podium position on Sunday. Sorry, I'm just adjusting my microphone and my headphones here. Your prediction was that Carlos Sainz could score a podium this weekend. <laughs> I actually think Carlos, I actually think Carlos Sainz could win this weekend. Um I, I do. Uh but I, I think I think Stroll could be on for a podium. Long overdue. So he did not score a podium last year. He had uh, a couple of podiums in 2020 during the COVID short season. Also had that remarkable pole in the wet at Turkey. This is a guy, and I know I use NBA analogies far too often, but to me, he's always been the Andrew Wiggins that you know the talent is there. It's just a matter of putting him in the right situation. In this case, the right car, the right engineer, the right mechanics, and unlocking that potential. Why do you think that this could be the weekend that he has a breakthrough in 2022? Uh, it looks like they've brought a new front wing to this car and it it's really unlocked quite a bit of potential uh with it and that was the thing for this team was they knew they had a great race car which they do um they always have run really well in the last six races they've been very strong uh but the qualifying is where it's really let them down like they've been qualifying like 17th 18th but racing to the points and stuff like that so with with now what i what i'm seeing and with free practice sessions is the car is competitive like all around where in free practice sessions uh, before the summer break, you know, the car struggled, lacked pace, lacked a lot of pace, um, but the race simulations were good. Uh, that's why I say what I say. And since that you're going to have some of the heavy hitters starting in the back, 
I think this could have an opportunity to maybe fight for like at least a top five, at least a top five. And to be fair, P4 in free practice two, P5 in free practice two in dry conditions. So it wasn't like there was inclemental weather that they were contending with and there was some kind of luckiness or flukiness. That's that's a really great way to kick off the second half of the season, right? And I think everyone at that factory in Silverstone has been incredibly frustrated with the team and they're not with the team, but I think they've been frustrated with what they've collectively been able to get get out of the car. What do you think it would mean for that team to be able to score a podium to kick off the the back half of the oh, season? Oh, it'd be huge. If you think about the difficulties they've had this season, where they started and where they've kind of come to that that journey has been a has been a tough one. I mean, they came into the start of the season with something that they thought had some potential and then they they got punched in the face, man. And now they've fought back and they've developed this car and uh Seb has done a great job in helping with all that at the same time and Lance has done a good job of listening and paying attention and moving the car forward as well and not getting so hung up on the end result, which sometimes he does. Uh, so that's that That would be an incredible result for this team if they were even just to squeak into the top five this weekend. What's yours? What's yours? Yeah, so I, I, I very much agree with you. Like based on what we saw in Hungary, I just, I don't see how you can keep Max Verstappen off the podium. He's just an absolute monster and his race craft is as good as it's ever been. I've never in his career seen him so from a, a temperamental and an emotional perspective, so even keel that nothing throws him, nothing on track, nothing off track in the past, obviously an incident on the track, you know, his emotions could flare and that could influence the way that he made decisions later in that race. And that just doesn't happen now. And of course, he's coming off a championship season. And I think we could probably both agree that 80 points ahead of his closest competitor, Charles Leclerc in the championship, that this is his championship to lose. But I think that he's also in a state of mind that, you know what, the only way he's going to lose this if he makes mistakes. And I think based on everything we've seen in the first half of the season, that's not going to happen. He's not let down by his team. He's not let down by strategy. They had some reliability issues earlier in the year, but that was more standard components in that fuel cell package unrelated to anything that the team could have done. I just think he's in such a great position. So I would expect to see him on the podium. Um, and I think for the sake of Ferrari and the desperate need of trying to keep this championship within their Within their grasp, either of the championships, they got to score one or two podiums. And I don't necessarily know how they're going to do that because, of course, Charles Leclerc is going to be starting at the back of the grid. And I don't have as much confidence in his ability to make it through the field as I do Max Verstappen. <laughs> uh, yeah, Max is an absolute monster at this track. You know, he's a he's a big commitment driver. And this is a I always say it, this is a big commitment track, man. And based on everything that we've seen this year, there's no individual driver, there's no individual team better suited to being successful this weekend, regardless of, of grid penalties. As a reminder, as we look at the Drivers' Championship right now, Max Verstappen leads by 80 points over Charles Leclerc. Max has 258 points. Charles has 178. Sergio Perez sits third with 173 points. George Russell with 158. Carlos Sainz with 158. 
156, and, and Lewis Hamilton with 146. From a constructors' perspective, Red Bull is dominating the championship with 431 points, almost 100 points up on Ferrari, who sits at 334, Mercedes at 304, and sitting number four, not particularly comfortably, but of course is Alpine Renault at 99, just four points ahead of McLaren Mercedes. Tim, once again, I cannot thank you enough for uh, joining on such short notice, my friend. It's much appreciated as always. Uh, yeah, you can get my podcast, uh, TSN Racing Pod, wherever you get your podcasts. We just posted one uh, today with uh, Michael Bauman from The Ringer. And uh, we did a deep dive on uh, Daniel Ricardo and what does he do next? Uh, we also actually touched on, you know, are we... Uh, too quick to judge racing drivers these days, both fans and media. So we we, we touched on that quite a bit. Uh, also, if you want to follow me on social media, you can get me on all forums at Tim Haraney. Thanks, buddy, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always a good time. I guess I'll, I'll catch you again on Sunday, pal. Yeah, Daly's back from <laughs> his... I, I don't even... So, you know, I'm going to say this because at the end of the podcast and nobody's listening, but if my, my wife... My boss or Mark Daly sits me down and they're like, Mark, this is very important. You need to process what I'm saying. I don't process any of it. It goes right out of my ear. <laughs> so one day he doesn't show up for a podcast. I'm like, where's Daly? And like, I message him. He's like, I'm on vacation. I told you a hundred <laughs> times. So like, I'm scrambling to put together like three weeks. And I also thought he was back for yesterday's podcast. And I messaged him like, where are you? He's like, I'm not back till Saturday. Do you listen to nothing I say? So I, I was again, you stepped phone, in. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why my phone went off in a panic yesterday. <laughs> so thank you for stepping in yeah, and no supporting worries, the absence of Daly. He's back on Sunday. Uh, for everybody listening, this summer has been a little bit wonky. We did manage to get, I think, seven or eight podcasts in during the summer Ooh, break. Good. We, uh, we managed to get our first volume of Book Club in. We've got a second volume coming that'll probably drop before this winter. Like I said, cool. we have Kevin Clark from The Ringer joining us in the back half of September. Megan Schuster's going to join us in the first half of September. Have a lot of fun with both of them. Make sure you check out some of our recent interviews with Hamda, Trey, and Lily. Lots of fun. And Tim, once again, thanks for joining us. Everybody, enjoy the Grand Prix. We'll be back with Tim after the race on Sunday to recap all of the events from Spa. Thanks again for joining us. Speak to you soon. Bye. Telephone, you can't wait to drop this don't you? Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like song, and my song's gon' break through like a running back.